This is the Overclocked Podcast, a weekly dose of video game music and conversation from ocremix.org. This week, we tumble into a nightmarish vision of Majora's Mask from Ember Lab and Theophany, roll through a Katamari Damacy episode of The Big Ones, and question our grasp on reality itself in a twisted playlist. Welcome! Hi! This is going to be a weird one. It uh, wasn't really um, intended to be so strange, but when I saw the stars begin to align, I said, well, let's just go for it. Let's make this the weird episode where weird things are happening constantly. This is episode 52, or is it? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah it actually is. <laughs> it is episode uh, 52 of the Overclock Podcast, and once again, I cannot say that this is not a special episode because it is a very special episode. That is correct. It is special because me, Steven, is here as your brother and co-host. That is exactly what I meant because that is not normal. Yes, Brian. I'm just, for people who haven't listened, I'm, I'm making sure we introduce our names. Oh, yeah. My name is Brian. Subtly. Brian, I did it subtly. You ruined it. <laughs> your name is Steven. Okay, well, this is, I don't know. This is actually a special episode. This is one of my favorite interviews we've done. Um, they're all my favorite interviews, but this is a favorite of the favorites. So what makes this interview your favorite? Um, probably just the fact that we get to talk about Majora's Mask so much. Yes. It's also nice that Laura and Travia returned again, but we also made new friends, Mike and Jason. Um, yep. uh, I, I saw this Majora's Mask animated short a month or two or so ago, and mm-hmm. I just was bowled over by it. I, I watched it 10 times. Yeah. I could not get enough of it. And as I investigated into it, I realized that I knew a lot of the people who worked on the music. And so we got them and we got them and someone who actually directed the short on the on the show. Exactly. There will be a link to the short in the show notes because playing it for you on the podcast, I mean... It's great music. We might be missing out a little bit. Yes, you will see magical selections from it and you will hear some of it, but you should watch it if possible before listening to this interview. I think you will get more out of it. Have they ever announced that they're doing anything else with Majora's Mask or is that uh We that talked it? about it. Um they have some good ideas, but nothing is, you know, nearly Complete. actually uh, <laughs> finalized or or official. That makes sense. Well, I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing that interview. It sounds like a really good one. And it has mm-hmm. our friend Laura returning once again, who's always a delight to talk to. Yes. 90% of the time. Except that one time. Man, except, she was horrible. Oh, that time. my gosh. That one conversation. Who we? Anyway. specific. Oh, when she said that. Mm. That thing. Yeah. Oh, man. That, that is not worth remembering. So let's jump in to the Remix Rewind, where we run down the latest from Overclocked Remix. Remixer Wazdi simply shreds some La Milana and their new track Monumental Subterranean Exploration. This relentless metal guitar fireworks show uses several La Milana tracks to pull off a bass-smashing, drumstick-tossing, power-sliding combo move on the eardrums, and it's easy to imagine the roar of a packed stadium behind it.
but the concert's not over yet. Our next manic melody comes courtesy of Magellanic's Mega Man 10 remix, Chivalrous Medicinal Murder. A two-fisted blending of Nightman stage and Dr. Wily stage, pumped up with clean rock guitar and synth, makes for a phenomenal tribute to the awesomeness of the Blue Bomber's musical legacy. these remixes and more head over to ocremix.org welcome back to another in tune interview the part of the show where we talk to music makers about the music that they make i'm steven your host but i have a lot of guests here today actually um brian says it is first of all there's a familiar face or a familiar voice if you will laura and travia welcome hey it's good to be here yeah, it's good to have you here. And also, Jason Gallaty. And I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Hey, Jason. Yeah, hey, how's it going? You're pretty, yeah, it's pretty much good. <laughs> close enough. Yeah. Man, I will take a close enough any day. I have butchered names so bad on the show. No, um, no worries, man. And hey, we'll, we'll introduce everyone specifically soon enough, but we've got one more person, and it's Mike. I don't even know his last <laughs> name, so I can't Mike. mess it up. Yeah, Mike, Mike Greer, yeah. That's cool. Hey, Mike, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> welcome to the show. We will get right into who you guys are. Like, why don't you guys... I mean, Laura, I think we already know who you are. You can be quiet. But, I mean, who doesn't know who I am? <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> but Jason, could you introduce, um, like, who you are and how we got in touch with you? Uh, sure. So, I'm Theophany. I do the remix thing for Majora's Mask. It's quite a, pretty much what I'm known for right now. I'd like to do, like, branch mm-hmm. out and stuff, but... Uh, yeah, I think we got in touch because you... But yeah, I wanted to mention that Joe Zija was originally the guy that I got in touch for for this oh, interview. Right. yeah, yeah. Um, because um, he worked on, along with a lot of other people, an animated short that came out recently um, about Majora's Mask, which we'll get into plenty soon. But he ended up connecting me with Jason, who connected me with Mike, who, speaking of, Mike, um, give give yourself a little introduction. What do you do? Yeah, so I am the director of the, the film you just mentioned, Terrible Fate, and just been collaborating, working with Jason on not only the album from the short film perspective, but also in our professional work. He does a lot of the sound design and music for a lot of the creative I work on. Um, but yeah, so director of the film and did a lot of the post-production visual effects, 
And of course, Laura, I was just kidding. You can introduce yourself. How did you get involved with this? Uh, actually, I worked uh, with Jason on the uh, last album, and that I I'm trying to remember who was conducting the interview, but it was a uh, it was an interview about the Shine Sparkers, a uh, Harmony of a Hunter, one percent run, and we just happened to be in the same uh, like it, it was just us and a bunch of like random arrangers in the project, and then I think you and said that you might need like vocals for something and i was like oh yeah sure i'd be happy to and that's it was just like random happenstance we happened to meet each other that way and uh and he knew that i sang so um yeah it's it's great to have worked on the second album as well it was a real treat yeah absolutely always awesome to have you of course (laughs) yeah it's uh, and it's kind of funny because you know laura you were on pretty recently when we were talking to chad yes (laughs) um and so you know i i reached out to joe i'm like joe i noticed you worked on this thing and then i just see in the credits wait a second <laughs> wait a second i guess we better get laura on this too. <laughs> so this is a really interesting interview though because it's kind of like a, a a twofer because time's end is a majora's mask album and it goes along hand in hand with terrible fate which is the majora's mask animated short which is just insane like <laughs> guys i i can't wait to start talking about that it's amazing <laughs> Um, so what are, I guess let's start with, um, let's start with terrible fate. Let's start with the short. Here, at the end of things, I can still feel its power. How did it get started? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, um, an organic process, just knowing Jason and working with him day to day on, on different projects. His uh, his remix album, the first time, first one, Times End Part One. Mm. Um, you know, we were not as directly involved. We were kind of just like took a back seat. But I did some of the artwork for yeah. some different artists to to make that render of the mask. Um, and people loved it, and it was a great experience. And the album was awesome, so it was, you know, it was a lot of fun for us to be involved in that small capacity. And then when we knew Jason was getting ready to release the second album, follow up mm-hmm. album, we were like, okay, let's. How can we collaborate? On a deeper level, how can we make something that's going to make even more of a splash and, and kind of tie into the album in a unique way? And we came up with the idea of doing a short animated film. And it kind of, the complexity of it kind of grew over time. But um, it, yeah, it ended up being really cool because it, it has little bits of the album work throughout it. And, you know, you watch the film and that's a cool experience. And then you listen to the album and get kind of a, a bigger picture. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun working on it. So Ember Lab was behind the short, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the studio I started with my, with my brother. Oh, cool. Yeah. So we do a lot of creative work. Not so much in the gaming industry. We're trying to get more in that space, but we do a lot of creative work for advertising and things like that. Uh, visual effects. I kind of checked out your website and saw some of the other stuff you guys have worked on. And let me tell you, to see that something like Terrible Fate can come out of a collaboration with two brothers gives yeah. me high hopes yeah. <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. I mean, we, we've been working in this field for for a little bit of time now, and it took a while to find our footing. But you know, we've been growing the studio slowly, and we've been working with some really great artists all around the world. And mm-hmm. we have a really good core team. Jason's part of that. He does all of our sound design, music. How big is the team right now? Uh, we're pretty small. The local team here in Orange County is about six guys. Oh, okay. We have a bigger. We have a big network of people that we work with uh, all around the world. Like I said, and depending on the project, we have different artists that we pull on. And, and collaborate with that is really neat and yeah. i mean I, I i'm gonna attempt to remain my ordinary passive professional interview self but it's gonna be hard because i'm just like so into this short man yeah. <laughs> like, 
That's cool. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's really, really impressive. So Thanks. I guess I'll say this first off. Um, I'm not necessarily going to avoid all Majora's Mask spoilers in this conversation. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you can really spoil something that's, you know, kind of as short and ethereal, just ties into the game as yeah. Terrible mm-hmm. Fate. Yeah. Um, but Majora's <clears throat> Mask, for those who don't know, is the follow-up to The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. You could say it's also mm-hmm. kind of a side yeah. story, sort of a spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's also one of the most fascinating video games ever constructed, in my humble opinion. I yeah. never get tired of talking about it. Um, so if nothing else, I hope that this interview prompts everyone to play the game if they haven't and watch the short and listen to the album. Yeah. Um, they all kind of complement each other. Do all at once if yeah. you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's... Oh my gosh, that would just put you into the most splendid coma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's the thing, I think... The one of the things I'm most proud about in the way what we yeah. captured in the short is that a lot of people who haven't played the game they watch the short and they're like, okay, I missed this one, I missed this Zelda, or it, it came yeah. out before I got into Zelda. Mm-hmm. But watching the short, you know, I'm intrigued and I, I, I want to go play it. And they're like, what, you know, what's it about? And kind of it sets it up in a way that kind of builds intrigue to fans of the game, but also people who haven't played it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, sweet. definitely, definitely. Yeah. It's it's kind of a neat art piece just because it stands alone as this intriguing, unfinished story, but also adds to an existing story. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So are you guys both Zelda fans or, or Majora's Mask <laughs> fans in specific? No, we hate Zelda. I've <laughs> 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 never Being played any of the guys. games. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. It's uh, kind of yeah, weird. No, we definitely are. Yeah, huge Zelda okay. fans. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, um, for me, Zelda's kind of the reason I got into this creative field. Oh, wow. When I played Ocarina of Time back in the day, it kind of opened my eyes to like that experience. So, yeah. And then ever since then, I've played every one that came out with my brother. It's kind of like a tradition. We kind of just try to put all work on hold for a couple of weeks and just dedicate yeah. some time to a Zelda release when that happens. So, yeah. so, yeah. so when Twilight Princess came out, Brian and I set dedicated time aside to play that. We even kept like a log of our yeah. adventures. So we would remember <laughs> what we did. Yeah. And I, I lost feeling in my legs during the water temple because I'd been sitting down for so long. Yeah. I, yeah, I get that. Intense game yeah. It's a fun, it's a fun way to experience it. And it kind of, you know, the games are great on their own, but when you add that kind of, you know, emotional connection with someone you love to it. It's just kind of, yeah, that's yeah. when it brings it to a, yeah, kind of the God tier level and experience that you can't recreate in any other way. Yeah, no kidding. I would say the same for me too. Like I got into remixing because of Zelda and Orphan of Time specifically, but I decided to do Majora's Mask first. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Majora's Mask like has, like I probably love Ocarina of Time a little bit more as a video game, yeah. but as a conversation piece, I'll take Majora's Mask any day. So, but Laura, I, I mean, I know you're, I mean, you're, you're flute link for crying out loud. So <laughs> I assume you like Zelda, but like, what's your history with Majora's Mask? Did you ever play that one? Oh, absolutely. I actually, um, earlier this year, I put together like a, a, a arrangement, um, an album of piano arrangements from Majora's Mask. And I actually, I told the yeah. story of like how I first played the game on the inside cover, but I left off the terrible ending. So it's really uplifting <laughs> if you just read what's on the CD. So I, I used to be a competitive swimmer when I was in high school. And um, when I was a freshman, I was supposed to like swim in the, champ- the county championship meet. And uh-huh. as we were like getting on the bus after like training two weeks for this, uh, my coach told me that I somebody else like from another school had edged out my times and I had been pushed out of the meet and we were like uh-huh. on our way there. So I was super, super upset about that is this. Super sad. 
Yeah, and my uh, and I have a twin sister, and she was competing in the meet, so I was just like extra feeling bad about myself that day because I was like, oh <laughs> man, this sucks. So I, I got home, and I wasn't super close with my older brother when I was a, a kid, but right when I walked in the door, um, he came right up to me and handed me Majora's Mask, which had just come out like a couple days earlier, and he said, hey, I got this for you. And like, I don't even know if that's true. Like, he might have just gotten it for himself <laughs> and just wanted to do yeah. something nicer. But it was really, like, unbelievably sweet, and I went straight to, like, my, you know, the playroom, and I plugged it in, and I played, like, all night, and it was, like, the absolute perfect thing to distract me from, like, you know, a night feeling like a failure. Here's the horrible ending. I completely misunderstood that save mechanic you just mentioned, and (laughs) I thought, oh man, I'm running out of time. Well, I almost beat the Swamp Temple, so let me just save by going back to the first day, and then I can pick up where I left (laughs) off, and that's not how it works. That's not how it works, no. So that was when I went to bed, but anyway, I have a very fond memory of this game. It really means a lot to me, and I really enjoy the themes of friendship and... um, Yeah. Finding friendship in odd places and and forgiveness, you know, forgiveness of people that hurt you because they, you know, make bad decisions and not necessarily evil people. Except Majora. He's evil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I love the ending of Majora's Mask. I really do. And how how neat is it that we all had, like, sibling stories about Zelda, like, right off the bat, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a really good point. (laughs) But Time's End um, 2 is kind of like a story in and of itself like it's it's kind of a soundscape more than a traditional album working on that was that designed to go along with the animated short specifically or was music taken from that after the fact it was kind of interesting it's a little bit of both to be honest Mm. um i think that um the album i i had been planning and working on for a couple years um and but you know when i started to work on the short film there were pieces of music that i made that i was just like this is way better than what i currently have in the album and it's a better idea and it helps so i would sort of go back and like rebuild out those songs for the album. So like the Lost Woods version of the song um, in the film mm-hmm. uh, ended up being, you know, the version on the tr- on the uh, album that I used. But I had like two or three other versions that were completely different and I just kind of threw them out because it, it fit better. And it, so it was interesting, like my thinking about the album evolved because of working on the short film. And uh, yeah, it was really awesome. It was a really unique experience, to be honest. I'm pretty proud of the short film, but I am planning to release the actual music from the short um, pretty soon. Just put it on oh, YouTube. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so you can actually hear. It. There's interesting things where I kind of like cut pieces of songs and fit them together in different ways. So like, part of Song of Healing is mashed up with like the Lost Woods theme. There's like, right? Yeah. And it, well, uh, one question I had for you is how much of that is live instruments? Like, are there any elements in it that aren't? You know, synthetic? There are way more than the first album. I'll say that. Um, oh, yeah? Laura, 
yeah, did a ton of vocal work and a ton of woodwind work on this album. And I tried to work with as many live musicians as possible because, you know, I don't want to just do MIDI everything. But to be honest, there is a lot of like produced MIDI, MIDI stuff on there. Yeah, it's definitely at least two thirds or more, I would say. Mm-hmm. It actually sounds really seamless, but you can you can tell with those woodwinds like they got the extra care and the attention. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's knitting. <laughs> uh, I, I won't argue. The, man, the vocals, the vocals were was it, was that all Laura? Were there other people who contributed to that? It, it's it's a mix. Yeah, so Laura, I think, is most featured vocally on Oath to Order. I think she's also on Song of Healing, and she's in the first track singing Song of Time too. She kind of she's she's around. <laughs> but, uh, she's not the only vocalist. Uh, though, okay. There's uh, Revan is another singer, and a few people who like messaged me via Facebook who wanted to participate. You know, I ended up working with a few of them too. So. And Revan yeah, had a really big solo, yeah, in the Hyrule Fields arrangement. That, yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, it sounds super cool. Just mm-hmm. a really yeah. pure, light, like youthful tone. She sounds like she's yeah. just straight out of the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. <laughs> she really does. You're right. That's a really good way to put it. So, what were some of the some of the parts that you worked on, Laura? Uh, I, <laughs> well, the last thing I did uh, was I was um, on a, actually on a VGL tour. This is this is, this is funny. Uh, I was it was a tour uh, for three weeks um, throughout Europe, and J- I think I must have like not mentioned this to Jason before I left because I, I think I had recorded some things right before I left, and then he emailed yeah, you me and said like. <laughs> Oops. So um, I got an email from him and he said like, hey, can you do like this one last thing uh, for uh, Oath to Order? And I was like, uh, sort of. And I explained, I was like, I'm away. I have my USB mic, but I can, I can try to do something like in the silence of my hotel room and hope that like, <laughs> like nobody calls. <laughs> so like I had like, and it was like, it was really cold in Europe, obviously, cause it's fall. So I actually made like a little ISO booth out of my winter coat, like just surrounded my head and the microphone with it and sang like, as quietly and operatically as I could, which is it was a good yeah. oh, challenge. Oh, quiet and opera, the two words that go together, like peanut butter yeah. and jelly. And I was like, I don't know what this is going to sound like, but you, it's just going to have to do. You seriously cannot tell that you were singing into a coat <laughs> on that track. It sounds freaking epic. It was great because, like, at the time, it just felt very like, like just. <sighs> like this really like pathetic sound. <laughs> I was like, I hope this, I hope this matches up to like anything else that went into the track. But no, you're right. Actually, in the in the um, final version, I was I was impressed by um, how great the quality was that I put together. Yeah, it worked totally well. It just totally worked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I, no. I had a I had a whole question written down here. What was your vocal direction and approach? But I guess the direction was <laughs> yeah. please, and the approach was coat in hotel room. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty accurate. Exactly. 
<laughs> but yeah, that was a that was one of them. That was for Oath to Order, and then um, uh, other other vocal things I did. I remember doing. I, I it was the workflow and progress is basically like I would just like do a bunch of random things and yeah. send them to Jason and let him like pick apart what it was. So I remember like specific things I did that like. I can't remember what made it in and what didn't because, like, I just like churned out so much <laughs> random material. I'm you really did. sorry about that, Jason. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, it was amazing. <laughs> it's like the best thing ever. Awesome, just had, like endless awesome material to choose from. <laughs> but I do remember um, one of the things that I first did. I think was um, it wasn't vocal actually. This was the woodwinds for the Deku Palace thing. This was this was like yeah. a couple years ago. I remember when we were just uh, yeah. starting to get the ball rolling and. Um, I had forgotten all about that. <laughs> there was like a couple of flute solos and stuff that um, went into that track and I listened back to it. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about this piece. Especially kind of this this take on it is kind of dreamlike, even maybe maybe bad dreamlike, nightmarish in a certain yeah. way. Yeah, like, I would say so. Did sure. you try to capture any of that with the vocals? You know, that's a good question. I I know that for like certain tracks, I was I was I would imagine like what Jason like might potentially do to the audio itself. Like if he was going to mm -hmm. like have it be like kind of in the background, like this ethereal thing. Like I remember for mm -hmm. um, the Woodfall Temple itself, I tried to oh, do yeah. like an impression of, you know, that like, hey, thing that's in the background. <laughs> yeah, 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 yep, yep. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, here goes nothing. I was like, maybe this is something that he could incorporate, like in the background, so it doesn't need to be like beautiful. It just needs to sound uh, terrible. <laughs> right, <laughs> a terrible fate, perhaps. <laughs> so, um, I so there were moments like that where it was like more of an effect than supposed to be like beautiful singing. But then there's other mm -hmm, stuff mm -hmm. that, like for Oath to Order, especially like um, Jason specified, he's like, I really want this to be like legit, you know, like opera style mm -hmm. singing. So I was like, okay, that I can totally do that. And then. Um, trying to think of like if there was any like sort of in-between ideas sometimes well not sometimes most of the time when i work with somebody i try to give them like multiple takes like of uh -huh, of like uh -huh. you know really soft like really loud and then like something in the middle that i think works uh really well like depending on what the actual atmosphere is so yeah i, I, I try to offer like all of those ranges that you that you mentioned unless i have a really specific idea in mind yeah, she sends me a ton of stuff, and it's, it's amazing. Oh, man. When when you're editing any kind of audio, the best thing you could possibly have is multiple takes. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's just the truth. Uh, <laughs> did you do any uh, vocals on Believe in Your Strengths, or was that someone else? Mm, she did. Was, yeah. that a, was that a bunch of people? Was that the one where there were like so, quite a few vocalists? Actually, yeah. Because of the way that the song was created over like the course of like three or four years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, I think there's four vocalists on that track. I think there's you, Revan, also Adriana is on that track, mm -hmm. and one other girl named Faye. <laughs> 
But yeah, there's quite there's quite an ensemble there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I believe it. That is just like like I kind of I passed into being impressed to being angry that it sounded so good. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Like, this I is unfair that. to the rest of the world. <laughs> I know yeah, exactly that, that, that sensation you're describing. It's like, this is so good, I'm mad about it. It might have been my favorite track, but um, before yeah. I keep, you know, recklessly delving into each individual track, would you say that the album itself kind of tells its own story? Did you plot that out, or did you, you know, did you, were you thinking in that direction? I think so. I, I mean, I've thought about this building on what the first album did. I mean, it sort of tells the story, but in a way, it kind of reinterprets it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played around with a lot of like thematic ideas that I don't know if they fully come across, but ideas of like, what if you know he's sort of like trapped in this loop, and it's sort of you know like the struggle on this album is sort of like to reach the turning point of like, okay, you can go back in time but you still can't solve the problem. So you're sort of doomed to do this forever unless you find a way out, you know? Mm-hmm. So I tried to make the beginning of the album a bit more of like a nightmare where it's like, okay, what if he has to relive sort of like these messed up memories when he goes back in time? Like going back in time is not necessarily free. There's a cost to it. Ooh. So I did kind of try to like explore ideas like that and sort of like, what does he feel like when he walks out and sees Termina for the first time? That was sort of the whole idea behind um, healing Termina and... Yeah, I tried to like expand upon the themes, but it was interesting to find a balance between trying to tell the story and not go overboard, and to try to do more sound design than the first album, but also not go overboard and make it mm-hmm. just like too insane. And it's it's hard. I feel like in some areas I did succeed, in some areas I, you know, I don't know. You go go to the first track back to the beginning, and the way I always heard it when I was listening through is. I guess I did kind of get that time loop sensation now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. But moving on to the second track, Dawn of the First Day, it kind of sounded like waking up from that nightmare. You know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're yeah. finally taking a breath and realizing, okay, if I'm going to get out of this, I need to start moving forward. Yeah, it's just sort of like coming home and being like, wow, this place is so like the same, but I'm so different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of feeling. Totally. Well, let's step aside from the album for a second and talk a bit about Terrible Fate, the short itself. The first question I've got about this is how did you manage to craft a cohesive art style? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing was like we went back, I went back to some of the the game art, like the original concept art um, that has a, a little bit more of a mature look than the, the final models do in the game. Yeah. And partly, partly because they were so limited with the technology back then. Um, so mm-hmm. some of the early designs of Skull Kid, some of the early early designs of the um, the Mass Seller, were kind of our jumping off point. And then from there we kind of realized, okay, if we're going to try to make this somewhat believable and grounded, and also have the characters be some something that the audience can connect with, we wanted to make sure that they had certain features in a certain way, like the Skull Kid's eyes. We wanted to make them very expressive, mm-hmm. whereas in 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 the game or in, even in the concept art of them, they're kind of just like. Just like dots on his, on <laughs> yeah, his face. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there were some things that we kind of knew that if we were going to push it in a certain direction, we had to take liberties with. Otherwise, it, it just wouldn't come across the same way. But, yeah, a lot of exploration, a lot of looking at the source material. It was it was pretty fun because, you know, we knew that we were going to put our own spin on things. When you have that mindset, you can kind of give yourself a little bit of freedom. Right. And it, yeah. it is a bit scary because you, there was a lot of back and forth of how people were going to respond to the look of the characters. Um 
but you know, we we tried to stay true as true as we could. But uh, sticking to those roots, but taking enough gutsy moves so it feels like a, a new, fresh, you know, yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Look into yeah. it. I mean, I loved it. Like, I mean, I I couldn't like think of a better way to go about it. Um, <laughs> it, it was especially like crazy because from what I understood from the behind the scenes video you guys put out, you filmed that forest. And yeah, then superimpose yeah. the characters onto it after oh, the fact. That blew yeah. my mind when well, I yeah. saw that. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, that was a lot of fun. We we actually have a lot of production experience for whatever reason in the forest. <laughs> We've done a lot of commercials in the forest. Yeah. We've done a short film that was like all set in, in a forest environment. So we. I mean, it's a lot of fun. There's nothing more fun than going to a beautiful landscape or forest and. And being out there and trying to capture that beauty. Given that we were kind of like on set one time, we were like, you know, it would be really cool is to do something like this for Zelda. And it was kind of a joke. I mean, it wasn't like, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's just like so much work. And then we, really seriously. Yeah. Work. And then it kind of it, it came true, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, that was the workflow. We, we shot all the plates for the most part. Um, real place, real plates in uh, Humboldt, California. So it's a little bit north of where we are. But. Uh-huh. The actual location they shot at is literally called the Avenue of the Giants. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> oh my gosh. What? Yeah. 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 The now that's a not terrible fate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool. It like it literally just looks like Terminator. It really does. It looks yeah. like the very first scene of the game is like in the forest with the Yeah. yeah. Man, that is that is awesome. And you know, I also realized speaking of lookalikes, I kind of look like the happy mask salesman. Like I've <laughs> I've got the, the kind of red hair. I was practicing the, the expression pattern. in the mirror. I think I nailed it. I've been working nice. on my <laughs> So come Magfest guys. I might have to buy a backpack and do some cosplay. I was going to say I hope you're going to yeah. I hope you're going to make that your claim to fame <laughs> as a cosplayer. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's man. funny you, you say that we actually pushed his face. Um, and there's a lot of like online rumors about how he's based off Miyamoto. Yeah, um, yeah. So oh, yeah. we kind of, if you look at the shot where he's like looking at the mask and the fire, if you pause it, you'll see a little bit of him in there. So we kind of <laughs> oh, that's so that. great. Yeah. That is so great. I, I, I love the expression that was captured yeah. especially especially when he turns in that forest you know he hears the laugh he turns around yeah. oh yeah he's friendly a little bit creepy but he hasn't he hasn't lost his mind yet right yeah. <laughs> like yeah. oh it's so good so i just realized i'm looking at my notes and i guess i got a little carried away because the question i wrote down is literally was the aspect ratio change a reference to the day-ending effect from the game oh, and or yeah. a tonal shift signaling the loss of the Skull Kid's childlike life with the introduction of his new Dark God and Master Majora's Mask? Uh, yeah, all the above. Okay, <laughs> good. No, I mean, we did... It was an intentional choice that we made because they do it in the game. And right. We we felt like it added some tension to the, when the, the scenes were changing. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it was a definitely an intentional choice that we, we kind of made. I, I didn't notice it until maybe the third time I was watching it. And I know yeah. it's kind of the nitty-gritty detail for those who haven't seen it yet. But about halfway through the short, when there's kind of a, I guess, kind of a tonal shift in yeah. what's going on, the aspect mm-hmm. ratio actually, like, more of your eyes. Yeah, yeah, two, three, five. Yeah, I mean, it's actually a couple of people have 
emailed like and picked up on that. So you're not alone. And they were asking, why did you do this? It's so cool. Is it from the game? I I didn't think anyone was going to notice, but I guess watching it again, it is, I mean, it's there and it's, it kind of happens in a moment where everything slows down. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to miss because it just moves you on to the next emotion and Mm -hmm. onto the next scene. But as I realized the rest of the short was pretty much, you know, kept that change. And then it suddenly dawned on me, wait a second, this happens every time it starts to change to the next day in Majora's Mask. And I got super excited yeah. and wrote down that question. Also, <laughs> just like cutscenes in general. Yeah, or like music targeting right? and stuff. I think yeah. Matt I think it even has like that little rumbly sound. So cool. I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, there are really only, you know, two characters in this. Yeah, two, yeah. You know, then plus the two fairies. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys ever, you know, venture into modeling the moon? Because I feel like that would be really terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we actually talked about it. And yeah. there was a version where we, where I think we were going to show him calling the moon down. Yeah, we wanted to do that for the ending. Um, which would have been cool. And I kind of wish we had it. But it's just like, those models, like the, we spent so much time on the characters yeah. we did have. There was there really wasn't any room for anyone else. But yeah, it would, it would have been a lot of fun to do the moon. And, and Link to take on that. Yeah, topic. that would have been great. So, Link would be sick. If you were to commit all of the time and money and do a follow-up to this, mm-hmm. for another section of Majora's Mask, what would you be most excited to try? Ooh. Oh, man. I know what I would do. Oh, <laughs> Go ahead, then. You can ask that. <laughs> yeah, do the four giants, man. Oh, yeah. I was yeah, going to, yep, that's yeah. what I had in my head, do the four giants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, t- we talked about that when we were shooting, because there's like, you know, the trees are so big, and like what kind of shots you could do with so many, like the giants coming from all the different kind of parts of the world. And yeah. so they would all have like a distinct look. Yeah. So like the swamp would be like super gnarly yeah. and swampy. Yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, the giants, yeah, the way they look in the game is, is pretty odd. It's weird. But it would like be fun to see like Mario yeah. models <laughs> Mario that got like, like retextured. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that'd be, that'd be really cool. One of the things I love about Majora's Mask is all of the reused assets. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, because they were in such a time crunch, at least, mm-hmm. you know, rumor has it, development history has it that they didn't have, you know, they had like a year to make this essentially. Yeah. I mean, um, it came out pretty quick after Ocarina. So, yeah. yeah. And I just feel like most developers would have thrown in the hat and basically made an expansion pack to Ocarina of Time. But Instead, these guys are like, you know what? We're going to turn this into a bizarro dream version <laughs> of Hyrule. And suddenly, instead of just, you know, being forced to reuse the same models, they said, let's make it like a bonus. Like, it's yeah. actually more interesting now that you're seeing all these same characters in new contexts. It's mm-hmm. like such a such a bizarre idea. So I feel like you guys could get away with it if you ever wanted to make like a follow-up, just reuse all your assets and change them slightly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be cool. It would be cool for yeah, sure. And we, we've been talking about what, you know, if we did something, what that would be. We just mm-hmm. haven't settled on anything yet. But the Giants keeps coming up, so maybe maybe that'll be next. I, I would love to see that. But and oh, it's it's a uh, it's definitely worth noting that uh, I mentioned at the top of the show Joe Zija, who's been on the show before. Um, he did uh, the voice for uh, some of Skull Kid's lines. Mm-hmm. It, was it just for the um, the transformation scene, or was he peppered throughout the I, rest of it? I actually had him record as much as possible, but okay. I I thought that for character development reasons. 
it was maybe better not to hear his voice until the more brutal transformation you see. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I tried to stick pretty close to, like, what he sounded like in the game. And maybe used a few game samples and, like, blended what Joe did with that. But, uh, yeah, it just didn't feel right to hear his voice all the way throughout um, with all the reactions. It just felt better during that scene. So, yeah. But he did it. He did quite a bit, actually. He did, like, several passes on, like, everything. Oh, <laughs> so nice. I kind of feel bad that I didn't use more of it, but... Uh, <laughs> It, it worked with the film really well. The only thing I regret is not pitching it up a little bit because people are like, he doesn't sound like a kid. He sounds like a grown yeah, man. Yeah, but at the end of the game, like Link, <laughs> Link's voice gets darker too when he puts on the mask. So, uh-huh. it's deeper, yeah, so. that's kind of a good point. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all good. It might have made it a little more unsettling. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it, sh- it shocks you. And that's kind of how you want people to feel when they, when they watch that. A, so. a little bit. I remember hearing his takes and being like, this is so intense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of didn't want to touch it a little yeah. bit. Well, I guess I guess I'd better start wrapping this up, even though I could probably talk about this for another couple of hours. <laughs> All told, what do you want people to walk away from when they listen to the album or when they watch the short? What what feelings were you guys trying to get across? That's that's a really good question. I it's, it's a broad question too. So <laughs> you know, but it's kind of weird because I, I feel like I have thought about it. For me, at least, the entire second album has been, in a way, a journey through grief and self doubt for me. So I feel like I kind of wanted it to be a more positive ending than the first album. I kind of wanted it to be like, yeah, you go through this stuff in life, but like. I kind of wanted to, to show that you can get through it a little bit. So I think that that's sort of like I wanted to do a little bit more of an up, uplifting, hopeful version. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of dark stuff on the album, but like I do feel like it ends in a bit more of a hopeful sort of like you have a purpose, you know, at this point yeah. instead of it all just being like you're escaping and escaping and running away, you know. And I think that's actually something that uh, Laura was the first one, I think, to mention that idea to me of like, you know, the fact that at the end, when you learn Oath to Order, you now have a purpose. Yeah. When you go back in time. I think that was originally something that you, you wrote in an email. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been. I remember I remember we were having an email conversation um, just mm-hmm. about, like, I, you had, like, a bunch of stuff that you sort of, like, brain dumped for Oath to Order, and you were, you were mm-hmm. like, looking for yeah. sort of, like, a second opinion on, like, you know, what do you think fits and what do you think to... So I remember going through, like, just a ton of pieces and His you had theory started, and stuff, yeah, yeah yeah and i remember you had you, i didn't i was um impressed and taken by how much it seemed to follow like a like a script almost not like literally but you had like a picture mm-hmm. in your head of like what was happening where and uh mm-hmm. and so certainly your vision of the ending gave me the idea of like the oath to order being like a hopeful way like now now link has a strategy he like he knows how he can help and stuff like that so it definitely it definitely came out of your inspiration if it was my idea uh, at all thank you. but that's <laughs> but, um, like the, that's like the best part about collaborating is sort of like you get to yeah. exchange these ideas and come up with something that you know you just kind of build off of it yeah know? totally like you, together you guys can make something super awesome that Separately, maybe, you know, it wouldn't turn out that way, Mm -hmm. is the best part about it.
But yeah, that was a crazy good question. <laughs> that, and that was a really good answer. Like, <laughs> I could not have asked for anything better. And that's a lot of what I feel when playing Majora's Mask. Like, I feel like no matter how you slice it, that's a game about facing death. And, yeah, yeah. and w- whether you want to interpret that death as just a challenging time in your life or, or a loss you're going through, yeah. like, it's, it's a, it's surprisingly touching and like easy to relate with Skull Kid. How, mm-hmm. you know, he, he runs out of friends and then the only thing he knows how to do to get those friends back is destroy, destroy a whole city. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like we've all it's, been there. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty surreal actually because a lot of people who've messaged me on Facebook who are fans of the albums, they kind of tell me those stories about how, you know, like, oh, you know, someone in my family died. I used to play this game with my brother all the time. And that's why it means so much to me. And it, it's like, yeah, a lot of people do have that deeper connection to this game in particular. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I had a connection to it, but I feel like what happened after my first album came out, I had like two deaths in the family and then later on there was another death. So it was like, wow, this is so weird that mm. it's just like, I don't know, there's something messed up about this game. It's like cursed or something. Right. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I know. It, it does have kind of a, a weird cursed magical feel to it. Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again <laughs> out of Nintendo. Yeah. yeah. And likely you won't. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, guys, this has been such a good interview. Oh my gosh, maybe we should just do a part two sometime. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm down. <laughs> but uh, my follow up question for all of you is: um, How many dollars would you pay for a Skull Kid amiibo? Because mine would be like fifty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Man, how do you put a price on something priceless? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Skull Kid could use a little more love. I wish he would be in Smash Bros. I would, yeah, yeah, I would prefer him to be in Smash than to be an Amiibo. I want him <laughs> to be playable. Be I mean, we, we have a 3D model. We can just 3D print. I mean, you already so. know what his final Smash is. <laughs> he brings the moon down. Oh, my goodness. You are so right about that. Uh, I, I don't mind telling you how terrified I was of the moon when I was a child, by the way. Like, <laughs> holy cow. Yeah, um, cool. But I do have the Majora's Mask... Uh, 3ds xl so yeah a little yeah, closer that's good but that was yeah. that was a ton of fun and i i learned even more about uh, about the short and the album actually like vultured and waited for <laughs> a special <laughs> re- nintendo release but um laura jason mike thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview no problem. Yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah totally thanks for having us just selfishly great for me. <laughs> but uh hopefully everyone else enjoyed listening in so but anyway thanks again and uh hopefully we'll have you on in the future and for now, we'll head back to the show. Welcome to The Big Ones, a look at popular game music and what makes it so loved. Today is all about the strange, surreal, and stupidly happy soundtrack of Katamari Damacy. Weird is a difficult adjective to break down. Something weird for one culture might be completely normal for another, but we usually call that foreign. Something might be weird because it involves a darker side of humanity we don't like to explore, but we usually call that disturbing. And sometimes something is weird just because it kind of is. It's not what we would expect. Some people like to use the word random to describe this, but I prefer unexpected. This kind of weirdness is difficult to do without seeming just dumb or boring, and requires more thought and care than the word random gives credit to. And this weirdness, along with some foreign strangeness, is the focus of today's episode. Katamari Damacy is a weird game. Overly Japanese games are usually a little strange to our Western tastes, but this one cranks the quirk to 11. The gameplay involves rolling objects in your Katamari, a small ball that picks up whatever it touches. Katamari Damacy literally means clump soul or spirit. 
This Katamari gets bigger and bigger and allows you to pick up larger and larger objects. You start off getting things like paper clips, and then you get pencils, and then lamps, and then desks, and then people, and then buildings, until eventually you're picking up entire islands. And all of this is because the king of all cosmos goes on a drinking binge, removing all the stars and celestial bodies from the sky. You, as the prince, have to roll around your katamari to get enough material so that the king can recreate the night sky. Like I said, weird game. To go along with the game, Katamari Damacy has a strange soundtrack. It fits the poppy, bright visuals of the game with a varied and fun soundtrack. There are so many different composers on the soundtrack which contributes to the eclectic mood of the game. The most popular track is easily the title theme, Katamari on the Rocks, by Yu Miyaki. Loot brass samples and glitching out sounds in the intro and interludes sound right out the electronic music scene. I'm not sure if I can think of a genre this fits in, but it has a lot of pop sensibilities with a catchy chorus melody. melody is remixed and reiterated all throughout the soundtrack. Also, singing mainly in Japanese and throwing in random English phrases in there just kind of seems to be a common thing in Japanese pop music. And all of this makes for a truly unique, peculiar, and lovable theme that always makes me smile. The Moon and the Prince by Akitaka Tiyama makes me think of Jet Set Radio with the Japanese rapping and the Brum piano samples. Gin and Tonic and Red Red Roses is straight up jazz with a kind of silly sounding singer. It starts with a drum intro reminiscent of Sing 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 by Benny Goodman, which you've probably heard of even if you don't know the name of it. The singer sounds kind of like a Japanese Betty Boop. The singer is Ado Mizumori, who's an illustrator, singer, and actress who had a children's show. And you can totally hear the kind of infantile tone in her voice. Now time for a weirder track. Fugue 7777, wait, Fugue 7777, yeah. Fugue number 7777 is back to the kind of strange silliness the game is famous for. It's a very Baroque-inspired vocal piece with the different parts coming in one after the other, but it's all Vocaloid. 
Finally, I'll leave you with Lonely Rolling Star. Besides the title track, this is probably the most famous song from the soundtrack. It's straight up J-pop. Yoshihito Sano composed it, and Saki Kabata provides the vocals. I couldn't find anything about Sano, but Saki Kabata is a J-pop singer and musician who's worked with a lot of different bands. She has a Japanese wiki article, but the translation wasn't especially helpful. But the track itself is a ton of fun and fits in with the rest of the soundtrack. It even includes the Katamari theme at the very end of the track. Katamari Damacy is a strange and fun game with a strange and fun soundtrack. The game is all about combining lots of different things together to make one beautiful thing, which can also be said about the soundtrack. The diversity of composers and styles clumped together into a weird, magical, and memorable score that's still remembered today. Thanks for listening, and listen well. Like this, this, like that, like, like that, that. I like it, I like it! Wowza, you're right, Stephen. That was a great interview. I learned all sorts of things. I'm very glad you learned all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So did I. The yes. most of all, friendship. They're at this strange and weird and oddball episode we made it out together yep that is true or did we (gasps) yeah yeah we did oh okay well thank you everyone for joining us together and being our friends this week on the overclocked podcast if you want to find more overclocked remix stuff there's a great place to head out called www.ocremix.org what a good idea twitter is also a good place to talk to us at ocr podcast over there or if you want to tweet at us long form, you can email us at podcast at ocremix.org. And uh, don't forget, we have a Discord channel. We have lots of fun chats and do playlist submissions and uh, stuff like that. You should go check that out. It's pinned on our Twitter account. So thank you, Sin, for <laughs> writing our Remix Rewind. Thank you to Mike, Jason, and Laura for that wonderful, informative interview. And thank you to Matthew Tussironi, otherwise known as Major Third, for doing our segment this week. We actually have an exciting new segment in the works. And by in the works, I mean it's completed, and it is from a new contributor. We just had to find an episode to fit it in on. Yes. So yes. we'll have that. And I will definitely give you a little, little spoiler, a little hint. The new segment is from and i'm really excited for him or her to contribute and with that let's head on to the playlist The Playlist is a weekly collection of listener-submitted recommendations so we can all discover music together. This week's theme is Twisted Music. The Tense Teacher from Incredible Crisis and submitted by J.H. Sounds. 
Battle Against the Masked Man from Mother 3 and submitted by the M-Disc Playlist Podcast. Ceremony from Secret of Mana and submitted by Carlos. Lavender Town from Pokemon Red and Blue and submitted by Major Third. of Shadow from Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door and submitted by Square Evil.
Pandemonium from Catherine and submitted by Phoenix Down. Metroid Prime Essence Battle from Metroid Prime and submitted by Sofin. of Darkness from Shining Force Gaiden Final Conflict and submitted by Ano. American McGee's Alice and submitted by Sin.
broke my GBA from WarioWare, twisted and submitted by me. been listening to the overclock podcast next week's playlist is capcom anything from the developer counts but if we get too many Mega Man songs we might have to put a cap on them to submit your own suggestions or just say objection hit us up on twitter at ocr podcast email us at podcast at ocremix.org or visit us on the forums at ocremix.org This week's lyrical wisdom. I sprinted. I twisted. I tried to run about everywhere. I spun. I was spun. I rolled into anything I could find. I was attached. I felt included. Hey, I just picked up so much stuff.